What's happening? Welcome back to the Creating Space Podcast, and I'm super excited for this uh, NASCAR conversation. Never thought in my life that I'd be as interested as I am in Corey LaJoy's story. I knew Corey a couple of years ago, met him when I was on a shoot with Wheelhouse Media. It's funny how it's all come full circle now as Wheelhouse Media is the uh, the entire media company that's taken uh, the Creating Space podcast and putting it into a new level. Uh, but it's amazing to see the trajectory that Corey has been on, uh, to watch him take that chip on his shoulder and build uh, on top of all the work that he's done on top top of what his father has done, Randy LaJoy, who was a two-time champion back in his day. Man, what an amazing conversation. And even if you're like me and not very well-versed in NASCAR, you probably saw the Daytona 500 wreck that involved uh, Corey LaJoy, the wreck with Ryan Newman, the one that everyone thought was going to be potentially uh, the second coming of the Dale Earnhardt wreck. Um, Rest in peace, Dale, uh, Dale Sr. So, this conversation went all over the map. What I what one thing I want you to plug into is the uh, absolute drive and desire that you can hear in Corey's voice. It is unmistakable. All right, uh, when you call when you talk about the keep going conversation or the keep going mindset, this guy embodies it. There is not a uh, single obstacle that's going to get in this guy's way, and you got to hook to the end to hear this story about what Corey was willing to do to get himself in the seat of one of the best cars uh, and the best teams that exists in NASCAR. It's an amazing story of just what he did and is towards the end of the podcast. So make sure you stay around for that. But Corey, I had a lot of fun if you're listening here. And for all of you guys who are either NASCAR fans or not NASCAR fans, I don't care. Uh, either way, if you love passion, you're going to love this podcast, all right? So without any further ado, let's dive into this thing, Creating Space Podcast featuring Corey LaJoy. Let's get it. What up, guys? What's happening? Welcome back to Creating Space Podcast. I'm super stoked to have this guest, Mr. Corey LaJoy, on the show today. Man, I just learned today his nickname is Super Shoe, and it's in his logo, and it's definitely in the, his approach. Uh, drives the number 32 car, drives it hard and heavy, and man, I've watched you ascend for the last three years since we've met. Super proud of what you got going on right now, man. Welcome to the Creating Space Podcast. Yeah, man, thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, looking I just forward learned. To catching up. Yeah, just learned today you got your own podcast. Yeah, it's called Sunday Money. Uh, so the, it's motor racing network, the guys who pretty much do all the audio for all the racing, they thought that it would be a good idea to let me talk for an hour <laughs> each and every week. Sometimes I'm sure that they think otherwise, but it's actually, uh, it's been a lot of fun. This, we just started our second season, uh, with two, two buddies, Daryl Mott and Lauren Fox. So, uh, it's a different realm that I'm used to. I'm, I'm, I would probably say I'm a pretty introverted guy to really, so to actually just sit there and ramble on about stuff that I care about for an hour. It's, it's been a lot of fun. Listen, man, you can't tell that when you dive into the show. I was listening for three hours today almost, <laughs> and uh, super unfiltered. And you said you uh, hit the top charts, like top 25 charts 
over the course of the last two weeks. Your name is in the front of the news, right? Probably more media rounds than you're ever used to doing in the last two weeks or so. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about Daytona, all right? Because yeah. not only was it a t your first top 10 finish, right? But it also came- Third top 10 finish. First one in the 500. First one in the 500. Uh, it came with a, a last lap that everyone knows about. It's been crazy, man. 200 mile an hour wreck. Yeah, I hit him to be exact at 194. Holy smokes. Uh, if anybody's in, in any car wreck, it, even 40 miles an hour, they know how much it hurts. So right. 190 mile an hour hitting somebody, uh, man, was, was pretty scary. It wasn't scary in the moment because your adrenaline's pumping and uh, I didn't even know who I hit. Um, but yeah, I was, uh, that the week following, the days following after that, when at that point in time, I didn't know Ryan's condition, Ryan Newman, who I hit, uh, they took him right from the wreck uh, to the hospital. And usually that's a pretty bad sign. Sure. So everybody was kind of on pins and needles waiting to hear back, uh, on his condition. And luckily less than 36 hours later, man, he walked out of the hospital, uh, which is, it, I mean, it's, it was a miracle. Uh, right. that's about the only way you can put it, man. It's uh, that was the worst possible spot in our car to get hit right there by your helmet on that roof bar. And I hit him, like I said, going 194 miles an hour. Uh, it's not often that you see the crewmen come out and have the drapes to cover the car, right? Like, yeah. as dramatic as it could be. And NASCAR I mean, hasn't lost anyone since Dale Jr., correct? Dale Sr., yeah. Dale Sr., so sorry about that. The, uh, the last time those curtains came out was for Dale Sr., and obviously right. everybody knows the outcome of that. So when anybody, anytime we see those curtains come out, uh, everybody's certain, certainly a little scared, but, uh, man. So what's going it, through your mind when you see that? Uh... Had you I didn't at that see time that. that. I didn't see that. Uh, so my, from my point of view, went like this. Uh, we were we were racing, trying to come to the line. We were fighting for a top ten, top five finish, which was huge for our team, regardless of the the whole crash. And I was looking out of my peripheral at the guy who I was directly racing with, trying to side draft him is a term that we use, where you pack the air on the guy's uh, spoiler to slow him down. Sure. And when I looked up, I saw a light colored car get spun into the wall. And then it's just like the heaviest fog you can ever drive through is, is tire smoke. So you're, I was fully committed because I was 200 yards from the start finish line. Right. And it was like a millisecond of the smokes cleared and there was this upside down car right in front of me. And I didn't have time to react. It would, I didn't have time to go like, right. Or hit Boom. the brake. It was, I literally hit them on our telemetry, you can see the my throttle trace and just wiped them out. It wiped the whole, pretty much half the motor off. Uh, the windshield crashed in uh, and it caught on fire, the whole deal. So I didn't know at that moment who I hit. Uh, the wind was knocked out of me. It was like, it was like, I keep saying, it was like the rock had a full run and start and kicked me right in the balls. Uh, because when you, because you're contained, you have a, you're contained by your shoulder straps, your lap belt and three belts right in between your, like in between your legs. One helps you. So if you flip over, you don't rise up and the other two stop your pelvis from like sure. moving forward. And naturally when you hit somebody at 50 G's, you're sliding forward pretty heavy. Right. Um, and I got I got out of the car, I was unhooking my radio and all that, and then I fell down to my knees. And if anybody saw that picture circulate on the internet, it, was, it looked like I was sitting there praying. I said something on my Instagram. Uh, I, I wasn't praying. People assumed that I knew I hit Ryan and it was bad right. at that point in time. What I did know, I didn't know I hit Ryan nor the severity of it. I knew I hit somebody really hard and I knew my balls hurt real bad. And I was trying to catch my breath. 
So I went down to my knees, as anybody does when you get sure. hit and that's real hard. And I was trying to catch my breath. And uh, granted, I did say a thank you, Jesus, for protecting me because I was a hell of a lick of prayer. But I wasn't, I wasn't down there praying for Ryan at the time because I, I didn't know who it was, where it was, because him and I were separated by a couple hundred yards. All the guys were around his car. I had a couple on mine. And then I went to the infield care center. They checked me out. I did some media after that and still didn't know the severity of it until somebody told me from the media that Ryan's in bad shape or supposedly assumed to be in bad shape. Uh, so then my stomach dropped, right? Because sure. you don't want to be involved in anything that hurts somebody. Uh, and then one thing led to another. Uh, jumped on the plane. I started getting some hints of some positive news that Ryan was alert, grabbed onto the officials or the track workers. And then the next morning, uh, I heard that he was, you know, they put him in a coma and then he was awoke, he woke out of the coma and he's alert and talking. So I was like, all right, so that seems to be positive. And then the next day, man, he walked out holding his two girls' hands and I was like, Chuck Norris came and do that. It, I mean, exactly. That, that's a, that's a hoss, man. So, uh, that was, man, that was a wild wreck to be involved in. Lucky to be able to sit here and talk to you because of course it was, it was one one or two inches away from me sharing the ambulance ride with not Ryan to the airport or to the hospital. Uh, so that, that, uh, that obviously would change my plans up pretty big and hundred percent, but you've had some conversations with him since where was his head at? Um, no, he's good. Man. Yeah. It's, uh, I think that he's, uh, he's ready to get back to the racetrack. Obviously he put posted a picture yesterday. He was fishing, just yeah. hanging out doing, I mean, I, I think his life's hasn't, hasn't changed a whole lot, nor I think will it, will he allow it to change anything right ryan's a ryan's a a, been a staple for decades in the sport now almost 20 years and he'll be back at the racetrack so you get your top 10 right big controversy around it obviously Mm -hmm. but now it launches you to a new level of visibility yeah okay and then in vegas was the next race after that how did that whole week leading up to that with more media more attention on you more stress obviously your body how, how did that change your entire preparation for the next Sunday? Uh, well, that week was crazy, man, because we raced on Monday because the race got rained out on Sunday. So it was pushed to Monday. Sure. Do the whole deal. All that stuff happens. I had to wake up at 5 o'clock the next morning to go do a Good Morning America, and yeah. we still didn't even know an inkling on Ryan's condition. It was just like, hey, you were the other guy in the crash. Get your ass on Good Morning America with Michael Strahan. I was like, I was tired, right? Adrenaline was still pumping. Mine was foggy, didn't have any clue what I was doing, what I was talking about beyond just, I'm just lucky to be here and hopefully Ryan's okay too. That's kind of the premise of it. And so I, I didn't I didn't feel like I did a great job on that interview just because I wasn't clear-headed. At that point in time, I was still trying to process it How all. How could you be? Right? I don't know why, I, actually, I mean, I think they just signed me up to do it. I didn't, I didn't really get asked if I wanted to do it. They were like, right. they told me like, right. you're going. Okay, so then the next morning I did Fox and Friends and I was a little bit more uh, clear-minded at that point in time, was able to process what was kind of going on and how I was figuring it out, how to deal with it. Uh, and then the next day, uh, I mean, it, dude, it was there was at least 300 news channels and different people want to reach out to do, a, to do an interview. So uh, it was certainly more media attention I've ever gotten in my life tenfold, um, which I think was good. I think I was able to handle it. Uh, with some class and and obviously not uh, with to show respect uh, sure. to Ryan's situation and I think that uh, he appreciated 
speaking, you know, that I was speaking on the behalf of the sport on the safety of it. Hundred percent. Because I didn't want to use it as a mediator at Ryan's expense. Right. right. That was that was never the that was never the uh, the thought to do that, and it, it worked out to be a positive for me, just for people seeing my face and knowing how I can handle that hardship. Yeah, it's it's really cool to see the ascension now. It's kind of the it's kind of serendipitous that it's all now coming. Mm. The visibility is coming at the right time, right? Yeah. Like you've written a a, a letter to the Hendrick yeah. Uh, yeah. crew. Like you you are not shying away from the fact that you are hungry to get into a great car to get it, to be at the next level, right? So yeah. let, before we get to that spot, let's talk a little bit about you being born with a wrench in your mouth. I mean, your dad, bad boy LaJoy, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, big Randy. Big Randy. Uh, has been in it. You were born in it. Um, you were saying six or seven year, was when your dad was winning his championships. Yeah. What's that been like for you to be of NASCAR? Like it's in your blood. I think there's a like a common misconception just from the fan base that they assume that since my dad had some success in the sport, that my path was paved. Sure. And I think my dad, I, I, not I think I know, my dad looked at it like a, he wasn't ever going to make my path easier than anybody else's. He probably purposely made mine harder to build the tenacity and the persistence to be where I'm at now. Because yeah. if it wasn't, and if my path was paved with a lot of the, lot of the, the resources and people and equipment that a lot of these other guys my age had, if hardship ever did come down the road, I wouldn't have what it taken to get through it. So how was he teaching you that tenacity and persistence? What was he instilling since he kind of knew the path? Um, just... Like I never drove one brand new car. I don't think I've ever driven one in my life, to be honest with you. So all my stuff was used. All the stuff uh, I had to build myself up until I was probably 17 or 18 with some help, right? Sure. With some buddies I went to high school with or some guys that would volunteer their help. But all the way up through until uh, what would be considered like the single A ball uh, was if, if I didn't work on it myself, we weren't going to the racetrack. Right. And even one, one notch above that, my dad wouldn't let me start where I qualified until I was 16 because he knew I had to be, I had to learn to be an, uh, an efficient passer. So if I qualified second in a 30 car field, he would literally make me start last, and I'd have to pass everybody to get really? to where I ultimately wanted wanted to finish. Because he knew at that time, it didn't matter if I had 80 trophies, 100 trophies on the wall. If I didn't, if I didn't know how to pass somebody. I wouldn't be able to do it on Sunday. Sure. And even though the trophies look nice on the resume, the intangible stuff of learning how to pass, being appreciative of the guys working on your stuff, hustling to try to raise money to go to the racetrack, all that stuff is, was what people weren't learning that they were my age. He built that chip. Yeah, he built the chip yeah, he for built sure. The chip. And, and people say, oh, I got a chip on my shoulder and yeah. I handle it as such. Sometimes it's a bad thing, but once you figure out how to harness, Ooh, uh, let's stick there because that's my yeah. whole life, my whole career, underdog. Yeah, right. Uh, my dad was a was a college football player, um, built the dog in me as well. How have you wrestled with that dog and watching other individuals uh, maybe have more money or, or or have more access that you felt like you were a better yeah. driver? How have you managed that chip along the way? Uh, yeah, you kind of shift the focus from what you don't have to utilizing what you do have. And, mm. and racing uh, is a unique sport. It's probably it airs on the side of a business more than a sport sometimes because I don't have direct, I don't have direct out, uh, you know, 
I, I, I guess I press the gas pedal and brake pedal and turn the wheel. Yeah. But there's so many more factors that determine where my race car finishes, whether it be downforce or engine power or there is infinite amount of things that the bigger teams have the access to do versus a team like mine. And I always, growing up, probably a little immaturity, uh, would kind of look at everybody else. Why don't I have that? Why, he's got something a little nicer than I have. Yep. He has a smarter crew chief than I do, or he's got a newer car than I've got, or he's got a new motor. Um, and that was still enough to kind of keep the fire going as I progressed slowly. Uh, but once I got to the national series, I had to figure out um, how to make, so everybody in the national series has talent, right? right. Everybody in, in the pros of any sport has sure. talent. You have to figure out how to differentiate yourself, whether that be your, your, your thought processes or fine tuning your craft to stand out, whether that's off the racetrack, doing podcasts, Sure. Being a better ambassador for your sponsors, but also honing your craft of physically driving the car. And once I realized that my talent wasn't the only thing to keep me there, that was when uh, I, I guess I, it was literally changing my fixed mindset to an open mindset. I mean, that's what, uh, you know, I was I was really de- leaned back and I was always looking back on what I've done in the past and not figuring out how I could get better for the future. Mm. Um, and one, once I realized that, you know, I might not have the most talent, but that's not going to stop me from outworking that next guy. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I think Kyle Busch is probably the most talented guy in the field. Uh, Jimmy Johnson, obviously, is one of the best drivers to ever drive a race car. Sure. Do I think I have the same amount of talent as them? Probably not. That's just, on, that's just honest. But I'm going to put the work in. And when I do get in that same opportunity with Apple's Apple's car, I'll have the grit and tenacity to, to get after it. And it Mamba, to make it work. Mamba mentality. Yeah. What does that look like? So, so for soccer, is how much time can you spend with the ball? Period. Technique. Yeah. Spending so much more time on that than anything else that are really the intang- intangible. Same with basketball. Mm-hmm. Same with football. OBJ can catch any, yep. anything because he's had more reps. Right. What does it look like for a NASCAR driver to put the work in? Yeah, that's why. That's why. Like I said, man, racing's a unique sport because right. you are reliant. You're dependent on the guys working on the car and, and the the physical piece of metal that you're sitting in every Sunday, sure. right? You don't, it's, nobody has the same ball. Nobody has the same car, right? right? If, I, I would love to strap on the same cleats and go kick the same balls the other guy because then you can outwork that guy. Yep. I don't have that option in motor racing. It's just the way the sport's always been and the way it's always going to be. So you have to figure out how to take the tools at hand, the resources that we have, and beat the guys with more beat the drivers with more simulator time, built the guys with more seat time. Uh, and that's what, I mean, that's what has allowed me to stay in the cup garage and keep progressing each and every year where a lot of guys kind of flake out or flame out or um, kind of get pushed down the ladder where I'm still ascending. So with me spending time with the ball, I would take a ball out to a local tennis court where the tennis courts have the wall that you could hit if you didn't have a partner to pass with. Yeah. And I would spend hours with an iPod or an iPhone in my ears, working on my technique. That was yeah. my one thing. Mm-hmm. What, what's the one thing that you spend the most time on? Maybe it's a weakness or maybe it's a strength Yeah. right now. I don't know, man. And I don't think I have one particular thing that makes me a better race car driver. I think, uh, I think all, of my, all of my relationships and habits combined is what makes uh, my success happen on the track as well as off the track. Right. Because um, there's not 
I would love for there to be one thing that's going to make me a better race car driver. And I would be doing that and wearing the paint off of it. Sure. But there's not besides if you wanted to jump on the simulator uh, at Ford, but I'm a little bit too low on the Ford totem pole for them to give me the nod to be on the simulator a lot. Right. So it's, you have to, you have to figure out how to hone your craft with lesser amount of tools, get creative, whether it be iRacing, some other lower grade simulators, uh, or just watch more film um, and, and just and just pack your brain with knowledge when you go to the racetrack. That way nothing's new uh, when you get there. Uh, yeah, like I said, there's there's not one thing when it comes to being a race car driver. I wish I can throw into to a cage or, sure. or doing that, but uh, it's just a unique. Was this unique always race. the dream to get to the Cup Series? Have you always been destined to mm. to get to this or were there other passions or things that you might avenues you might have so explored. i like playing baseball uh, really i was i was pretty good at it uh, i played so i was a junior in high school i played with Corey seager and uh, okay. and kyle seager they're obviously still playing baseball yeah, yeah and i knew they were they were the bar i had to compare myself against and i realized real quick that i didn't have what they had right uh but I, I pitched and played first base and center field. I was a lefty, so they liked that. And I could throw real hard, but I didn't know quite where I was going. And uh, <laughs> when it was uh, when I was a junior in high school, that's when I had to pick the mayonnaise or the mustard, right? Because sure. I wasn't working with trainers, and I wasn't spending enough time working on race cars. So I had to. Both were struggling, so I had to figure out and pick one. Uh, and I just had the passion for racing. Mm. I didn't know at that time if I was going to make it as a NASCAR Cup driver and get paid to do it. I knew that. I loved it. I knew I loved that the uh, just the competition uh, with myself to get better. Uh, it wasn't even so much about competing with other people. It was about uh, trying to be better than you were yesterday. They talk about field fillers around this park. <laughs> they say, Wes, you got to ask them about Dude. field fillers. Tell me about field fillers. Like fill us in on what exactly so that is. Field fillers. So the field fillers uh, was the group of our buddies that we called ourselves the field fillers because the guys who – it was kind of a, a metaphor because at the time there was this this movement of like guys filling the field of the extra spots and just starting and parking. So they're all the guys running the back. Right. Well, at that time we were 15, 16, 17. I was myself, Brandon McReynolds, Joey Logano, all of us young kids who were winning races and having fun and, and, uh, and starting to get successful. Uh, so we just, for a reason, just started calling ourselves the field fillers. And uh, we would go do go-kart races, and that was our little crew, you know, yep. raising hell around town. Well, then there was this asphalt go-kart track my dad paved out behind our shop that I was on it from a little rug rat. And we kind of grew away from it at the, when, I, when, you know, when I was playing baseball quite a bit. We weren't back there at the track dicking around very much. And then we all got the bug of just, like, getting these go-karts together and started running just for fun, right? We'd go there after school. We'd get a couple go karts running, and we would just beat the piss out of each other for right. a couple hours till it went dark, and then we'd park it and laugh about it and have fun. Well, one thing led to another, and uh, and we ended up having like sanctioned races at this track where six or seven hundred people were showing up every Wednesday. Where there was right. cars parked down the parking lot, we had uh, wheelhouse showing up, producing the shows, and like there was this big production. We had a NOS blow up thing over the front stretch and it was this like what started is just a couple buddies dicking around in the backyard essentially grew up grew up to be like this big production we were 
We were we had stacks of money and all this stuff that we're like, what the hell do we do with this? <laughs> this sounds like a reality TV show. Yeah, it, dude, it could have been a heck of a reality TV yeah. show that probably would have ended all of us uh, probably being in big trouble. <laughs> uh, so that uh, just like every good thing, man, it eventually dried up and unfortunately uh, went to the wayside. But uh, we all, you know, life happened, right? Life sure. got in the way. We started dating. We started racing, doing different things, and we were able—we weren't able to meet up quite as often. So the Field Filler Fairgrounds, as we call it, was the track. Uh, eventually, Stat and uh, Dad toured up with a Bobcat a couple of years ago. It was Did like he? it was the equivalent of somebody taking a bulldozer to the Sandlot. Is essentially what it was. Wow. Uh, so that was uh, that was quite a heartbreaker, but for sure, uh, I'm, I'm assure you because I got a I got a baby coming here in April. Congratulations, in a weeks. my friend, boy uh, or girl? Do you know weeks. the gender? We're not finding out until it comes out. I love that, man. Not much of that still exists. No, so we just didn't want to do a corny gender reveal party. <laughs> that's, that's, I can appreciate that's kind that. of where we were. Uh, nothing against people who do gender sure. reveal parties. We just that's not our still. style. So we don't know if it's boy or girl, uh, and. And my dad said, so that was one of the comments I made. Like, Dad, what the hell are you doing tearing up the fairgrounds? And he was like, you can pave one like I paid, paved one for you with your kids one day. And I was like, all right, Dick. All right. Like, I'll, sure. Can't wait. Yeah, can't wait. I'll make it nicer <laughs> than this one. My kid's going to be a better driver than you everyone. <laughs> you know, type deal. Uh, so over the next probably 12, 16 months, we'll have a fairgrounds, uh, another field floor fairgrounds resuscitated. I'm going to need an invite. We'll get I got you. a hat to wear, so I'll be out hat. there with my you got a super Joy shoe hat. hat. Only available on quarterlyjoyracing.com slash Great merch. plug. We'll leave that at the bottom of the, the show notes. <laughs> yeah. Show notes so you guys can check that out. Let's talk about uh, the, the past and the future of NASCAR. Because I heard on one of your podcasts today that the USA chance down in Daytona were Dude. something. Wow. You said, you said it was uh, 4th of July on ecstasy. It was. Yeah. That <laughs> you was said it was crazy. Day. So, um, so President Trump was at Daytona. It's at Daytona 500. Right. Like the guy or not, he played that crowd like a dang banjo, son. Did he? Oh, I mean, naturally. <laughs> there's a reason why he went to Daytona 500 and not to the Super Bowl. Sure. He knew he'd probably be a little more well rece- well received at the Daytona 500. Yeah. Dude, the the whole stadium was rocking, literally wow. chanting USA. Uh, and then you got the fighter jets, right? A, a bald eagle comes out carrying an American flag. That was I just made that up, but <laughs> the bald eagle. Is, I would, I the fighter that jets. My mind, that was badass. Yeah, it's a great picture. Yeah. He comes out with a machine gun, <laughs> guns hanging out, straps of bullets but, across his chest. But like that was for me. I was like, dude, NASCAR is back mm. because everybody's been hating on NASCAR the last, rightfully so, for the last eight to ten years. Attendance was declining, TV numbers were declining, sponsorship numbers were going down. Uh, but over the last three or four years, probably three years, uh, it's been a big uptick. TV numbers are up this year by almost 10%. Wow. Uh, and there was over 300,000 people at the 500 to last week, and Vegas was almost a sellout with 120,000 people. So, so what do you attribute to, to it growing? I mean, I know the NBA, yeah. a lot of marketing, obviously – Letting you know the, the great crop of players that are coming in the NBA, NFL, fantasy football. You know, yeah. guys. I don't know. If, is there a fantasy culture? In there NASCAR? is. So is it's starting really? to grow. Um, okay. They just allowed gambling this year. Ah. Uh, so that's obviously helped. Sure. Um, I think that's a that's a loaded question. Uh, there's a lot of different things that are are helping push the sport along. Yeah. Uh, the sports change leadership a little bit. They've changed some of their marketing ideas on how they want to push and and even the people in the age groups they want to attract right they want in this they want in this big 
this big push uh, five, six years ago, they wanted to get new fans into the sport. They wanted to get all these people who necessarily weren't racing fans to be racing fans. Right. And then they lost sight of all the racing fans altogether. Mm. So now they've really plugged back into the to the old timey racing fans and to get those guys back excited around the personalities, around the manufacturers, around the tracks, the schedule. Sure. Uh, so it's really been from the bottom up on uh, how they're trying to continue to mold the sport with better better leadership. Uh, and, and you know, a lot of the personalities in the sport, there was a big dip from losing. Uh, you lost personalities like Dale Jr., Carl Edwards, Jeff Gordon, Tony Stewart, like the, I would say six out of the top 10, uh, the most popular drivers left in a five year span. So that any sport leaves a big gaping hole. Yep. Uh, so they had to recover from that. Those fans who were a fan of Dale Jr. had to find somebody else to gravitate to. And it's sure. taken a little while to get those people excited to come back to the racetrack. So hopefully some Dale Jr. fans can come. Come be a fan of yours. That's right. So let's let's move into this conversation because I love the gall and the gumption of writing the Hendrick team a handwritten note. It was the Hendrick team. It was Rick, Rick Hendrick. Himself. It was Rick Hendrick himself. Oh yeah. So the big cheese, the big guy, the big guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not his right hand guy. Not the guy who let's talk answers about his this, emails. The, Rick Hendrick. There's only a few who have the ability to do like do something like that, and I love it because. I always used to tell people when I was little, I'm going to play pro. It was the mm. only idea that I had in yeah. my mind. And if I didn't do it, I'd figure it out later. Right. But Or you consider it a failure. Correct. Yeah. 100%. And I wasn't willing to face the failure. So whatever, by any means yeah. necessary, I had to keep going. That's right. So talk to me about that, the process of making that decision and what it was like. Like, let's, let's, what is that scenario entirely? Uh, lot, man, it's... Uh... It's so hard to differentiate, your, differentiate yourself in racing because you are at the mercy of what horse you're sitting on. Yeah. Um, so I had to figure out a way to stand out uh, off the racetrack because you can only make a 30th place race car go so fast. And even if you make it go five spots better than what it's supposed to, you're still finishing 22nd, 23rd. Right. And nobody's popping champagne bottles over that. Right. And you're not getting tweeted about and you're not getting talked about on the broadcast. It's just what it is. So honestly, where I got the idea from is over uh, Christmas break, Kelly and I, my wife, went to ha see Hamilton. Mm. And they do a lot of writing in there, you know, right? Yeah. They're writing notes. Alexander Hamilton obviously was a good writer, sure. uh, notorious for that. And I was like, I can write a note. I'm going to write a note to Rick Hendrick. <laughs> and I literally got that idea sitting there. Uh, it, it Hamilton. Someone needs to, to tag Hamilton on this. You yeah, see that. yeah. That's so, amazing. Uh, I went back. I actually have pretty good cursive handwriting. So uh, I wrote some rough drafts in my little journal. Uh, about probably five or six of them. My wife chopped it up and corrected all my grammar mistakes because sure. English was my least favorite subject in school. Yep. Uh, and then we... I, what was the essence of that letter? Uh, man, pretty much what we've been talking about. The why I should be considered. I, I said that uh, I don't expect to be the leading candidate, but I'd hope to be at least one of the candidates to, to look at or at least get a face-to-face -face meeting and, and kind of spill out why I should be the guy. Uh, just from the intangibles I've had to learn, like we talked about in the sure. sport, that a lot of the people my age, probably most of the people my age, didn't have to learn the hard way. Because in the sport, see, when you're playing a stick and ball sport, 
you get exposed very quickly if you don't have the talent right. or the mindset to make it. In racing, you can hide behind the quality of equipment and the quality of personnel that you're surrounded by. And if you don't have that, those are the guys that get exposed and they're out, right? Or the guys that are used to growing up around that, they get to the point where everybody is as talented as they are and they're out. Got it. They don't have the tenacity, the the grit, the persistence to stay or actually look internally and make themselves better. Sure. So I I spelled it out, man. I was like, hey, I've had to do all this the hard way. And I if I didn't have what it takes to be here, I wouldn't have stayed here for the last four years grinding in the shit. Right. You know, like right. I've driven some really bad race cars for some really slow team owners essentially sure uh and somehow i keep getting more and more funding more and more attention and running better and better right i don't think that's coincidence right and i said that's why i feel like i can carry the the weight of the responsibility of jimmy johnson's i don't think anybody can do what jimmy johnson does jimmy johnson's one of a kind but i think i can shoulder the responsibility of what ally needs or what chevrolet needs or what hendrick motorsports needs and I feel like I can do a great job on and off the track. And it was about a page and a half. Signed it. Thanks for the time. Yeah. And Have that's you heard where that? I left it. Uh, not directly. Not directly. I've, I've heard it through some people that he appreciated. You know, he said it, uh, uh, said that he was impressed by me before. Now he's even more apart. impressed. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it did. And that was, uh, that, that was the goal, to set myself apart. And, for sure. Uh, and it did. I, want, I really wanted to keep it private at first and it was private and then as soon as the media got a hold of it it blew up and of took course. fire but uh you know because i didn't want it to be a pu- publicity stunt by no means right i wanted it to be a pretty intimate thing yo man this is where i'm at you know i'm and it also i'm glad it got out because it shows the fan base i'm not content to be where i'm at i want to you want more i want more man yeah man not not for myself i'm not a materialistic guy but i'm not content when I know I'm, I can do better. I yeah. can do more, and I'm gonna do more. It's just a matter about getting there. Waiting. So I did a little research, and I was reading up to you know. It seems to be the the best years of a racer, like the 20s, 20s to early 30s. Technically. Technically. Now, and and some have been quoted as saying once they have a family, things change. They don't hit the the turn as hard, or they don't hold the pedal as long. Do you feel worried at all about the growth of the family and obviously the responsibilities potentially slowing you down at all? Uh, no, I think it's the opposite because now I have a baby to pay for. I got to get up a real <laughs> harder to pay that. for that thing, <laughs> right? Because I'm not making like the buku bucks that sure. the guys on the front side are making. I'm I'm grinding for what would be considered a you know a, a good living for the normal person, right? Uh, not crazy, right? So I got to just like anybody else three to four grand of a bonus here and there is big deal for me big time that's not a big deal for somebody that's making five million dollars sure big big time for somebody like me so uh, having a having a kid that's going to be eating and pooping and wanting all these toys things you gotta, I gotta pay for i gotta pay for those <laughs> things man so i gotta get up on the wheel and get some bonuses here i here love and it. there but yeah, statistically man the 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 peak for a driver is 38 so wow i'm still 10 years away from you got a decade my hitting, friend. is, is kind of when experience and the and the uh, i guess talent or the even the 
just the personal limitations of the body start to cross. But cool. there's guys you see like Kevin Harvick, Jimmy Johnson, 42, 43, just still still winning races. Still so if I can it. stick around, man, could be could be pretty good. Well, let's transition uh, into that sort of next space for you, which is a, a kid, right? Um, in the next phase of life, we just bought my fiance and I just bought a house, man. I I can't even imagine having a kid coming into the world right now. Like, yeah, painting everything in the house is oh, enough yeah. for me. You know what I mean? Paint's brutal. Let, let's talk about that, girl or boy. Mm. What are some uh, things you want to make sure you instill? in that kid, uh, maybe passing through from your old man or your yeah. teachings from your parents? Uh, you know, I think working hard is, is one of the biggest things, I think. Of course. Uh, and that's just natural with uh, the environment he or she's going to be raised in. You know, yeah. it's, nothing's going to come easy purposely just because um, you don't, I don't think you do your kids any favors if you give them everything they want anytime they want it. Right. Um, even if you're able to do that, right? If you're not able to do that, then it's just then it's easy to say no because you can't do it. Sure. But if you do have the means to be able to pro- provide your kids anything they want, you're almost inhibiting them from working for or learning how to figure out themselves going forward. I think so. And there's lots of other things, man. My wife and I are uh, uh, we've been digging into the the good book quite a bit lately. So it's going to be raised up in a in a Christian home. Hopefully, sure. it, uh, just grows up to to think the same way we do and it can it can figure it itself out obviously uh we're going to point it in the right direction and try to lead it and guide it as much as we possibly can but um you know i think sometimes if people try to hold on to their kids a little bit too tight and then that's what they end up running away from so kind of let it learn some responsibilities at a young age my wife and i uh we we see things very similar um but sometimes very opposite yeah. which is when we're when we're opposite on the spectrum is usually uh, for the for the better, so I'm excited to actually learn and instill some things, uh, some things that my dad did for me, some things not so much. 100. Uh, but that's the beauty of it, right? Because now I'm in the stage of life, like you said, where the older I get and the the more uh, obstacles that I've faced in my life, whether it be welcoming this kid in the world or getting married or or backing up and and going moving in or whatever yep. I appreciate my dad even more because I know he's been through the stage and thought the same way I did and he was nowhere near prepared just like I am right and he raised me and gave me everything I needed to do to to be to be successful uh and the older I get the more I appreciate the things he's done because uh, I don't I didn't appreciate it when I was a little kid yep. right because you don't know what it takes to earn a dollar you of don't course. know what it takes to literally give up your life for somebody else, whether it be your wife or your kid. Yeah. So the older I get, the older I appreciate, you know, both of my parents for what they've done for me. So the idea of creating space is all about letting go of what no longer serves you and creating the void or the opportunity for something new to come up. Next five years, uh, what would you like to see parts of yourself, you know, falling away? And what are some things uh, you talked about fixed or growth mindset, right? Yeah. That, that growth mindset would move you toward. Uh, I don't know, man. I hadn't really thought about that. I mean, I got a five-year plan of goals that sure. I want to achieve. Uh, get you know, get myself in a faster race car, win some races, win a championship. Uh, but above that, be continue to be a good role model for kids, young race car drivers. Offer tips or advice whenever people reach out. Uh, never get to a place to where you're 
too big or inconvenienced by somebody that wants legitimate help. Uh, I've been doing a lot of great stuff, a lot of fun stuff with Samaritan's Feet. Um, it's a charity right, charity. Here in Char- right here in Charlotte that provides shoes to kids domestically and internationally. Uh, and they've been given, they've given almost up 8 million pairs of shoes away over its 12 year existence. Uh, so it's been natural super shoe to jump into that charity, yeah. right? And uh, anybody that wants to jump in with Samaritan's Feet, man, it's, it's not like kids line up and you give them a pair of shoes. You literally sit the kid down in a chair you take their old socks and shoes off. Sometimes they don't even have socks and shoes. And you wash their feet and you speak life and hope into them and you give them confidence and you put new socks and shoes on their feet and you walk them out the door. Sure. And there's nothing, man, there's nothing you can create in victory lane or in any sport uh, that can just give you the contentment and joy that you get from seeing the smiles on those kids' faces. All about giving back, man. Oh, yeah. Uh, are you starting to get more recognized? Uh, around yeah. the streets now? Yeah, quite a bit. I don't know about the streets, but the racetrack, obviously, people know because uh, I'm one of the 40 guys. So people are, but you would be surprised. Two years ago, I was just one of the guys in fire suits. Yeah. Now people are yelling, Sunday might. <laughs> or, you know, like people yeah. actually know. It's like, oh, what's up, man? Like, I will have to say, your, your rise to where you are now has brought me in to be more of a fan, but I'm no fan. I got a story for you. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm not as, I'm not a big fan. All right. Yeah. So uh, if I hadn't have met you three years ago, I wouldn't have been able to recognize you. But um, good buddies with Warren Vigas. Yeah. Okay. So Warren and I, you know, I'm up at the lake. That's where I bought the new house. And uh, that's where all rich people live. <laughs> yeah. Right. We're in the <laughs> smallest house up there. Little bungalow. <laughs> yeah. Bungalow. <laughs> so Warren hits me and he says, Wes, you got to come check out our studio. Um, I want to show it to you. You got some cool cars. I know you're a car guy. My dad and I are refurbishing his 70 Chevy. Uh, I, just bought, I just bought a uh, 1970 Plymouth Barracuda. Did you really? Mm-hmm. And it's already finished? Are you working it's on fin- it? It's, well, it's pink right now. Nice. So I got a Hellcat engine, whole package, motor, transmission, all the wiring for it. So I'm going to do an engine swap for that thing and put a Hellcat in that. So do I just need to bring the tr- my dad's truck over? And, and, and I'll finish it up after the Barracuda. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Yeah. So, so we're in, we're in uh, the studio. Yeah. He's showing me around. He, I mean, you Joey talk. shop sick. What? Sad. That place is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And walking around, I don't know Jack from Jill, right? And he's taking me through, showing me the ATVs outside the racetrack. Everything, every toy you could ever want. It's it. unbelievable. You know, which car does this guy drive? So anyways, well, got, I think we, we can, I think we added it up one day. He's got like 28 cars. It's unbelievable. It's, it's next level. Yeah. So they take me into the offices and I meet one of the nice old ladies in the office, mm-hmm. office managers and whatnot. He brings me into his office and I'm looking at the trophies. They've got all kind of cup trophies everywhere. And Joey it's, wins a lot. Right. And, uh, I don't know Joey from the next individual and another old guy comes in, shakes my hand, mm-hmm. whatnot. And then this tall, lanky guy comes walking in. Yeah. Got brown hair. Looks like, you know, he's got kind of black bald. rim glasses. Looks yeah. like he probably does you know, the websites. Yeah, he does. The websites yeah. there. <laughs> comes walking in and he's like, I stand up and introduce him to West Knight. He's like, man, that's a great name. He's like, you got to thank your parents. Yeah. That's a great name. Yeah, West Knight's a cool name. <laughs> yeah. And I go, nice to meet you, man. What do you do here? And he goes, I'm Joey Logano. <laughs> no, he didn't even say that. He goes, I just race, I just race a car around the track. And he goes, my name's Joey. And I was like, oh, oh, you, the, oh, oh, you're the the Joey Logano. Sorry. So I felt like an idiot. I know he's your buddy. Yeah. Uh, but but it's got to humble 
him at times like that where people don't necessarily know who they are, right? Well, and sometimes that's the good thing about motorsports is it is it is a fairly big deal sure to, to a small number of people right right it's not a very big deal worldwide but uh for the small i say relatively small it's 30 million plus probably sure. or more people that follow it every week uh beyond that you're not a lebron james of course you're not a Brad Pitt, where you get where you get recognized and bugged all Have the time. You, has it gotten to the spot where you get annoyed with people recognizing you yet? No, not yet. Well, and people ask all the time, man, when you're doing autographs, do you get tired of these yet? I said, no, man, because it's gonna be a day where nobody gives a shit about my autograph. One hundred percent. So I'm gonna keep signing autographs till the cows come home. Well, I'm at that place where no one gives a shit about the autograph. Yeah. But I will tell you this, man, watching you grow and seeing the dog inside of you makes it easy to be a fan. Appreciate um, that. So everyone who's a fan of Creating Space, how can they find and connect with you? Uh, like you said, the podcast, Sunday Money, that's always a good time. Uh, it's on Apple, Spotify, all this stuff. Um, Where do you live most on social? Instagram. Yeah. Or Twitter. I have fun with Twitter. Uh, but Instagram is where I've, I'm post, posting stories and all my new merchandise and all that stuff rolls through Instagram. Uh, and then I'm on Facebook, but Barely. who's on Facebook? <laughs> People have it, but just as a yeah, place. Gra- we'll leave all of the links uh, down below. Yep. Corey, man, I've been chasing after you for a bit. Finally, you slowed down for a well, little now, bit for Now us. I got some buzz behind me. That's when you reached out. No, no, no. It's not that. It's, it's, <laughs> you actually still re- responded to my text messages. I thought uh, you'd right. be too big league for, for Not now. yet. Give me a couple six months. Listen, you. man, uh, big fan. Ready to see you continue to go. I hope you get that Jimmy Johnson uh, car. We'll see. And, and if I not, I'll get something else. Doesn't matter. That's uh, right. The dog never loses, right? That's right. Uh, so thank you for coming on to the show, man. I'm really excited to see you yeah, man. take off. It's been brother. fun.